This spot is brought to you by Eaton Vance, the symbol of advanced investing. What's inside your ETF? With Eaton Vance High Yield ETF, you know. Inside, you'll find smart bond selection from a specialized team with deep fixed income expertise. Get to know what's inside EVHY, the symbol of high yield done right, at eatonvance.com slash symbols. Before investing, prospective investors should carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. The current prospectus contains this and other information and is available at eatonvance.com. Read the prospectus carefully before investing. Not FDIC insured. Offer no bank guarantee. May lose value. Not insured by any federal government agency. Not a deposit. Investments involve risk. Principal loss is possible. Distributed by Foresight Fund Services, LLC. The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Rogers News. I would I would venture most of it is simply because the components of the U.S. embassies are just better, faster-growing companies. It's not because they're listed in the U.S., it's because they are those companies. And if the listings were the opposite way around, all of the American companies happen to be listed on European exchanges, I contend the valuation gap would be the other way around. Companies are looking across the Atlantic in the hope of getting benefits from listing on the New York exchanges. But this poses a problem for European exchanges like Euronext and Deutsche Börse that rely on big companies for fees. Can the rot be stopped? And is there a way of replacing defectors? Stay tuned for this week's Views Room. Welcome back to The Views Room, a podcast from Reuters Breaking Views, where columnists from around the world talk about the big stories of the week. I'm your host, Amy Donlan, coming to you from London. There is a mini exodus of companies switching their listings from Europe to the US. Some reckon they will get an advantage by being perceived as American and gain juicy contracts from the government, born out of the Inflation Reduction Act. So think infrastructure, highways... Others go in search of higher valuations. So here to try and unpick this situation, I have not one, but two Breaking Views editors, Liam Proud and Lisa Yuka, our Europe business editor. And Liam, Lisa, you are very welcome back to the Views Room. Thank you. Lovely to be here today. So Lisa, you and I had a piece out this week um, about really looking at there was a bunch of Irish companies that are looking to delist from Dublin. Can you tell us, these? why are these companies, why are we seeing these companies looking more and more towards the US? Yes. So um, thanks for mentioning those. Uh, I mean, uh, the Irish uh, Stock Exchange in particular, you know, has, has, I mean, which you've sort of focused on in your lovely piece, has seen uh, potentially, you know, what potentially is a bigger, bigger ex- exodus, you know, than what um, uh, we have been seeing from other places, uh, because, you know, some of the companies leaving are um, you know, heavyweights on the stock exchange. And uh, Amy, in your piece, you know, you had calculated that if uh, all the companies that have said, you know, they may leave, will actually leave, then the stock exchange, you know, loses more than half of its market capitalization. Just just to put it in context, you know, that it can be quite significant. And uh, um, I mean, there are obviously various reasons, um, but uh, the, the companies that we have seen in Ireland and elsewhere seem to gravitate towards the United States because 
Um, normally, they have a large part of the revenue in the United States. So the companies that we see going there tend to be global companies in sector that are, uh, as you mentioned, you know, right now being um, uh, targeted by very interesting and lucrative tax credits. And, you know, so the thinking for some of these companies is if they are listed there, they have you know, visibility, they can maybe attract more of these credits. But I would say that in general, it's the, you know, the larger liquidity pool uh, that is present in, in in the New York Stock Exchanges and, and the fact that, uh, you know, they could maybe attract more investors. And finally, some believe that this could lead to even higher valuations. I mean, obviously, Liam can tell us more about that. But uh, you know, the the interesting thing is that there seem to be a, a movement now. So we mentioned the Irish companies. I'm just going to mention two more. We also had a, a German chemical company, Linde, very large, um, almost 100 billion euros, if I'm not mistaken. They've also moved to the United States. And Ferrovial, which is a Spanish-listed uh, company, is is moving within Europe, but also with a view of having a listing in the United States. So it's kind of not restricted to Ireland, but, you know, various places, uh, you know, we have companies that have uh, thought or, you know, decided already to move. So to put some numbers around that, Lisa, so as you said, the, the market capitalization of the Irish Stock Exchange is $172 billion. So it was over half of that. If they all were to go, they were all to decamp. Uh, that's how much would go. So, Liam, you did a piece recently really kind of scrutinizing this valuation point. So CRH's shares went up 10 percent when they announced that they were going to delist and move to the US. So what do you think? What like is that? Is it credible that they could get a higher valuation in the US because their investors seem to suggest that they could? I mean, I think there's a few different levels to the kind of discussion. I mean, just start with a simple observation, right? There is quite clearly a valuation gap um, on either side of the Atlantic. So, I mean, if you just use the S&P 500, which is, you know, the main US indexes, and the stocks, um, which is the kind of European equivalent, then you can see, you know, I've just got the numbers in front of me now, the S&P you know, using kind of 2023 price earnings multiple is somewhere around um, 20 times, uh, whereas the stocks is about 13 times. Um, the numbers are slightly different if you use for 12 months earnings, but the kind of the discount there is about the same. So there's um, about seven terms of, of the PE multiple gap there. Um, so in that sense, you can see why companies would be tempted to say, oh, hey, well, if I can get inclusion in the S&P, move my listing over there, then then maybe I'll be valued like a US company. Um, I just think there are a few things that people need to be aware of when they're thinking about doing that, though. I mean, one is a large part of that gap is is not really down to the geography per se, but for the companies that are in those indexes, right? Um, I mean, if you if you look at what US companies are forecast to do over the next few years, they're just growing much, much quicker than European companies. So one way to kind of get at that is just to, instead of using the current year price earnings multiples, to just go forward a few years. Um, so I've just done the same exercise with 2025 numbers 
and these are these are using um, closing prices on Tuesday, the 26th of September. So if you do the same exercise again, you see the gap shrinks a lot. So the US um, multiple comes down to 16, and the European one goes down to 11. So now we've got a gap of five. So originally had a gap of seven in terms of PE multiple, and now we've got a gap of five. I would I would venture most of it is simply because the components of the U.S. indices are just better, faster growing companies. It's not because they're listed in the U.S., it's because they are those companies. And if the listings were the opposite way around, all of the American companies happen to be listed on European exchanges, I contend the valuation gap would be the other way around. So so what does that mean if you're a CRH or, you know, someone else, or even if you're a your private unicorn like Revolut or Klarna kind of wondering where you should list your shares. I would say it probably matters less than those kind of surface level valuation multiples suggest. Um, What would you have to believe to believe that there is a kind of inherent valuation gap either side of the Atlantic? You'd have to believe that it's impossible for American investors to buy shares that are listed in Europe, which is clearly not the case. Uh, we, We all speak to American investors that own large chunks of European companies constantly. So how inefficient would markets have to be for all of these you know, US hedge funds to have not noticed that European stocks are unnecessarily cheap? So I, I wouldn't want to rule it out entirely. I'm sure there's a kind of liquidity premium, if you like. It's probably easier to get out of stocks in the more liquid US market. But I'd be really surprised if that all else equal made a kind of massive difference to the valuations. And I think a lot of what we're seeing is just that American companies are simply better companies. Yes. And I mean, Lisa, obviously the, you, you know, Euronext and Deutsche Börse, like they don't want to see these companies move to the US. They're getting money for, you know, they get, they get, you know, fees for having these companies listed. There is more liquidity, the more bigger companies they have. Is there anything that, you know, Europe can do, whether it's these actual stock exchanges themselves or whether it's the EU to kind of convince companies that it makes sense for them to stay in Europe and list, you know, where they where where they are domiciled. Yeah, I mean, I I would say that uh, I obviously agree, you know, with uh, Liam's line that uh, you know markets should be able to sort of fairly value companies no matter the geography. And uh, but but there is one element, you know, of uh, difference which is quite. Uh, striking in Europe and that is that uh, the various uh, venues you know are quite small and fragmented compared to the sort of pool of capital that you can find in the United States so for instance Euronext uh, which you know if you sort of count all the venues that it owns you know and they all sort of trade on uh, the same platform if you want you know in theory the the market uh, capitalization of Euronext you know um is is the biggest in Europe i mean they they it's even bigger than the london stock exchange however Euronext is a federation of exchanges so the irish stock exchange that we just mentioned is only 172 billion euros in market capitalization that's less than half of LVMH, for instance, you know, which is one company listed in France. And, uh, and you know, if you are an investor in Europe and you're kind of picking and choosing, uh, choosing all these companies, you also have to bear in mind, you know, that there are slightly, I mean, okay, it's a single market, but there's slightly different 
rules when it comes to listing, you know, there's slightly different rules when it comes to prospectuses. So it, it's, it's again, you know, very fragmented and not unified at all. So one way maybe to make Europe as sort of a more attractive place for list for the listing of its own companies because you know there's many companies that do not want to list at all in Europe European is to try and achieve you know the so-called capital markets union so have you know a single perspective a single pool of capital a single set of rules I mean this is something that Europe you know has been longing for but at the same time Europe when I when I say Europe I mean maybe European Commission, so the EU executive, but obviously there is also competition between the various exchanges. So there is like a resistance, if you want, you know, from certain states, you know, in having unified rules. And I'll say one more thing, for instance, the Netherlands, you know, so Amsterdam, I mean, it's now seen as very attractive because in the laws of the country, it is possible to have super voting rights, you know, which are not allowed in, in other nations within the EU. So again, you know, we are in the same block with the different rules. And this is, you know, creating uh, an arbitrage, if you want, or a regulatory arbitrage and kind of attracting certain companies uh, because of, you know, that difference in governance. So, so all in all, I mean, I think the first step should be really to try and sort of harmonize and eventually create that single pan-European exchange, at least within the EU. I mean, it's been tried, right? So there's been attempts, you know, when, when Britain was still in the EU, you know, attempts to sort of merge with Deutsche Börses and, you know, other combinations, but we never got there. Um, but, you know, that that would sort of create a deeper pool of liquidity, simpler regulation. And, you know, many people have complained about that. Because, I mean, that would certainly, I mean, it's cheaper, obviously, to list in Europe versus the US and less onerous in terms of all the things you have to, to pull together regularly as well. Um, I'm sort of curious, Lisa, if you have lots of companies that are big companies moving to the US, are we seeing in any way any interest coming to Europe, like as in either via the Atlantic or anywhere else that can replace, that can sort of replenish these stock exchanges? So there is one interesting trend that uh, we collectively have noticed, and this is the trend of certain um, companies in the luxury goods sector moving to Europe. So just the other day, Coty, for instance, which is a, a cosmetics company, uh, announced that they want to have a double listing in Paris. You know, very unusual move because, as we said, you know, the trend seems to be the other way around. But we've also had... Uh, Ferretti, a yacht maker, uh, which has was listed in Hong Kong. Again, it's a kind of a luxury yacht maker. They are also having a listing in Milan now, and Samsonite, you know, is also uh, doing again listed in Hong Kong. Sorry, but you know, in the sort of making sort of, you know. Well, I wouldn't say super high level, but let's say travel bags, you know, of a certain uh, level, um, also trying to do that. So in this special category of, let's say, high end consumers goods, interestingly, there is like a, a tendency to um, move to Europe. I mean, for various reasons, because in the case of those who are listed in Hong Kong and now looking at Europe, there is certainly a, an attempt um, to basically hedge, if you want, against the, the China risk. So Hong Kong obviously was seen as very attractive as a, as a potential venue, maybe 10 
years ago. But but now with the sort of trade tensions is less so and, and people want to hedge their bet by having a listing in euros as well so that you're not just stuck in Hong Kong dollars, which, by the way, may have limits in the sort of weighting within a, a, an investment funds or investment index um, and and have something they can offer in euros to shareholders. In, in the case of Coty, and that's going to be my last comment, um, the valuation gap, you know, that uh, Liam was talking about, which is normally skewed towards American companies, in the case of the luxury goods sector, is the other way around. So the companies that are based in Europe tend to be, you know, more richly priced than those we have in the same sector we have in the US and, you know, also some elsewhere. So that's kind of interesting. There's this idea, again, that people sort of, I, I would say I spoke to bankers who were working, you know, with, with some of these players who have decided to move. It's not so much just to try and get the valuation gap, but maybe getting the exposure also to the right type of analysts who are kind of following, you know, an entire sector. So maybe they can look at your company, compare it with the relevant peers. I mean, this has also been mentioned as a, you know, have more visibility because this is the place to be Europe, you know, for, for this particular uh, segment. So it's it's quite different, you know, but uh, but also interesting. So that would kind of point Just to... Just aside, I mean, I think that tells you everything you need to know about this, you know, kind of slightly flawed argument that a lot of companies make. I mean, as Lisa just said, the, the big European high-quality luxury fashion houses trade with superior valuations. So therefore, there's nothing inherent to the region that is stopping good globally um, competitive companies from trading at premium valuations. It's, it's the companies, not the region. And Liam, do you think that it, there is an argument as well that if you're a smaller like tech company, for example, that there could be an argument for why it might be better for you to list in Europe versus the US, that you're that you might get more attention? I don't I just I don't think so. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, if if I follow through what I've been saying, that it doesn't matter where you're listed, then it doesn't matter where you're listed. Right. There's no upside. There shouldn't be an upside in the other way either. I mean, I don't, I don't want to sound too curious about this. I'm sure I'm sure that the liquidity point has some validity, but it's just it's not the main thing that's going on here, I think. And I really think it's kind of symptomatic of, you know, CEOs and CFOs and boards that are kind of, you know, struggling with a low share price and looking around and trying to blame someone else. Really, it's not it's 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 really, you know, a football player who's who's missed a penalty and kind of says that the turf is the problem. It's, it's not as you, you missed the ball and, and you should be focusing on that. Yeah, I I, I would agree. But I, I also think the valuations or the perceived, you know, gap or uh, existing gap in valuation, I mean, may not be the, the only consideration. In particular, when we think about European companies that have uh, family ownership, you know, or a single entrepreneur as a controlling shareholder. This is very common in Europe, you know, maybe less so in America. Um, so for these players, um, if you don't have a listing venue that allows you to keep, you know, control over the company, I mean, that's a big deterrent to listing. And actually what we have seen over the past couple of years is, as I was mentioning, is many companies gravitating to Amsterdam or at least, you know, mentioning their intention to go there because they want to be able to control their company with less 
financial capital invested. And this is particularly important now when rising, you know, debt is more expensive. They may want to kind of use their stock, you know, to do acquisition. They don't want to be diluted. They want to maintain control. So, you know, governance issues such as, you know, voting rights and super voting rights is another factor, I would say, when when company owners in this case, you know, decide where to list. Well, I think that plays into it discussion as well in a really interesting way i mean if, if you follow the debate here in the, the uk in london there's this huge amount of kind of you know what do we need to do to attract these companies how can we weaken governance standards how can we do this i mean if i think lisa's absolutely right i think that is hugely relevant the kind of the governance deal that you can offer people but i just think you have to be really careful what you wish for as a jurisdiction then i mean you're going to get a certain type of company if you make you know, the governance arrangements more amenable to people with poor governance, then you shouldn't be surprised if you don't have some 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 angry minority investors further down the line. Absolutely. Well, it doesn't sound like we've seen the end of this story. So, um, Liam, Lisa, I'm sure we'll chat again. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Cheers. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast was produced by Oliver Tashlich in London. Subscribe to The Views Room and our sister podcast, The Exchange, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. Catch up with our latest views and much more on breakingviews.com and on X, where our handle is at breakingviews. I'm Kim Vanell. Join me every morning for a roundup of what's happening at home and around the world. From the front line in Ukraine. Extraordinary how these people adjust and uh, even laugh when you take cover. To the heart of US politics. When Trump said that he expected to be arrested, it seems like he was trying to get ahead of the story. We bring you everything you need to know in 10 minutes. For your essential daily briefing, follow Reuters World News wherever you get your podcasts. This spot is brought to you by Eaton Vance, the symbol of advanced investing. What's inside your ETF? With Parametric Equity Premium Income ETF, you know. Inside, you'll find institutional expertise from a specialized team with deep derivatives experience. Get to know what's inside PAPI, the symbol of alternative income, at eatonvance.com symbols. Before investing, prospective investors should carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. The current prospectus contains this and other information and is available at eatonvance.com. Read the prospectus carefully before investing. Not FDIC insured. Offer no bank guarantee. May lose value. Not insured by any federal government agency. Not a deposit. Investments involve risk. Principal loss is possible. Distributed by Foresight Fund Services, LLC.